There's an account in the Bible of, of this man called Elijah. He lived about 800 years before Jesus was born, but at the time of Jesus, um, the Jewish people ranked him as, as highly and as important as Moses. So if you can imagine what, what Nelson Mandela is to the people of South Africa, Elijah was like that to the, to the Jews. They just thought he was the, the bee's knees. They were so impressed with him and what he was able to achieve. There was one occasion when he was taking on the, the prophets of a, of a rival religion, and um, he said, look, this is what we'll do. We'll set up two altars. We'll put a sacrifice on each of the altars, and then you cry out to your God. You're not allowed to put a match to it and get your God to set a light to the altar and the sacrifice. And of course, it didn't happen. And then he got people to pour buckets and buckets and buckets and buckets of water onto his altar so that it was totally saturated and even the channel around it was overflowing. And he prayed and of course, bang, God sent power, uh, fire down from heaven. And it just not only consumed the, the sacrifice, but the entire altar with all its stones and everything else on it. But the reason why I raised this, this issue of Elijah today is because he's mentioned by the Apostle James. And James says, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And so he went to the, to the king who'd given his heart to, the, to, to a foreign religion, to Baal, and he said, I'm going to pray that it doesn't rain on this country for three and a half years. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then at the end of it, he went out and he prayed, and the clouds started to build up. I mean, can you imagine having that kind of power? And the thing is that you do. James says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And then he goes straight on and he says, Elijah was a man just like us. Isn't that incredible? He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. I wonder if you could change the slide there. I need to remember. So can you see that James is saying, he's saying that if, if you're a righteous person, there's no difference between you and Elijah in terms of what you can achieve through prayer. And if Elijah could control the seasons, he was a man just like us, there wasn't anything particularly special about him, then so can we. In fact, next slide, this is what Jesus says. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. And I'm just wondering which of us isn't drawn to this prospect of having that kind of power. Because if we're honest, I think we need to stop and think about it sometimes, often it's good to do this at a funeral, is to remind ourselves that living on this earth is really quite terrifying. There's so many things that can go wrong, and so few things that we control. And that's why since the beginning of time, man has been trying to figure out how he can obtain power and control in order to survive, and not only survive, but to thrive, and to make living on this earth a comfortable place. And for thousands of years, humans have seen the divine, the spiritual, as a means to control things that otherwise they couldn't control. And we still do. 
I mean, there's that famous saying, I, I try to see who, who quoted it, I couldn't find, out, find it, but it's that one that goes, there are no atheists in foxholes. When you're in a place where there is absolutely no control and things are just going, I was going to say a bad word, <laughs> going, going, going to a bad place, <laughs> then you believe in God. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with calling on God. What does the Bible say? Right back in the beginning, it says Adam lay with his wife again because one of his sons had been killed by a brother and he gave birth to a son and he named him Seth and Seth also had a son and he named him Enosh. So this is right at the start of mankind and then it's followed directly by a very short and significant statement which says at that time men began to call on the name of the Lord. However, Although there's nothing inherently wrong with calling on the name of the Lord, since prayer is so powerful, our inclination is to want the power, but not to want God. And so we need to approach this topic that we're looking at today of petitionary prayer very circumspectly, because that's exactly what Jesus does when he teaches his disciples in the Lord's Prayer. And in fact, from now onwards, I'm going to stop calling it the Lord's Prayer because it's a prayer that he taught us to pray. So I think we should refer to it as the Disciples' Prayer. In the Disciples' Prayer, the prayer of petition, petition which is give us this day our daily bread, is embedded right in the middle of all kinds of other prayers. For example, our Father, which is a prayer of praying as a child, or hallowed be thy name, praise prayer, thy kingdom come, which is a prayer of hope and the advance of the kingdom. Thy will be done. It's a prayer of submission. And then give us this day our daily bread, followed by prayers of forgiveness um, and protection and spiritual warfare. So why? Why all these other strands of teaching on, pr on prayer provided around petitionary prayer? It's because we need some safety features before we come to this topic of petitionary prayer. It's like being given a 50-ton excavator. You can do some serious damage with that thing if you don't know what you're doing and if there aren't safety features on it. So let's have a look at what the disciples' prayer teaches about our approach to God with petitionary prayer and how to do it in the right way. So next slide, uh, next slide again. We need to approach God in such a way as to build up our confidence, and we do that by acknowledging his fatherhood and his power, our Father who is in heaven. And then we need to approach him in such a way as to gain perspective, and we do that by acknowledging his glory. These are prayers of praise. And then lastly, humility, acknowledging his wisdom. So that's a little summary of where we're going to be going today. Let's dive into the first one, confidence, acknowledging his fatherhood and his power. The disciples' prayer shows us that we are to approach God as a father who is in heaven. In other words, we are to gain confidence as we come to pray by reminding ourselves that God is our dad and that he's a powerful dad. And that's the basis, isn't it, of our confidence. So let's begin with God's fatherhood. What does Jesus say on the subject? Next slide. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more 
Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Isn't it significant that our joy and our happiness is bound up with the joy and the happiness of our children? When our children lack something good, and especially when the lack is harming them, maybe, for example, some sort of medical care, it's very traumatic for us. Why? Why is it that we feel gutted when we can't meet the genuine needs of our children? Well, it's because we're created in the image of God. And if we have an overwhelming desire to do good things for our children, how much more so, isn't that what it says? How much more so will our Father in heaven give good gifts to us when we ask him? And so that starts to build up our confidence as we pray, our Father. The Apostle James writes, and he says, new slide. He says, do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. It is possible for us to be deceived, to end up believing things that are not true about God. Maybe that he's withholding things from us. Maybe that he doesn't have our best interests at heart. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And then James goes on in the next slide to provide um, evidence of the fact that Christ, Christians have already received an amazing gift. He says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. God chose to give birth to you. Catherine and Matthew, our children, they didn't choose to be born. Gail and I chose to give birth to them. Isn't that significant? Isn't it significant to think that God chose to give birth to you? He chose to adopt you into his family. You're his child. And if God gave you that amazing gift, don't you think that he has other good and perfect gifts lined up for you? And you can be sure that he does. And like an earthly parent, you probably find this as well, you can't wait to give good things to your children. It says in Isaiah 65, verse 24, before they call, I will answer. Isn't that a picture of a God who already has the answer? He's already got good gifts. He's already got good things waiting for you, and he can't wait to give them to you. Even before they call, I will answer. Isaiah 65, I think that's on the next slide. No, it's not. Just stay with that. And that gives us confidence, and there's more. If I were you, I would begin any time of prayer reflecting on what it means to be a child of God. Um, and I, that, that passage there, Galatians 3, 23 to 4, 7, that's a passage that you can go to. And so when you, when you start to pray, and you're using this pattern of the disciples' prayer, you start off by praying, our Father who is in heaven, and immediately you start to pray, isn't it so good? Father God, to know that you have good things for me, that you love me. I've already seen evidence of that because you gave me new birth through the word of God. And you start to pray these things. And then in Galatians, for example, have a look there in verse 26, the next verse, it says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now the original Greek says sons. And if you look in your translation, it might say children. 
you know, so that we can be inclusive of men and women. But I don't believe that this does us service because Paul chose his words very carefully. At that time, only sons received an inheritance. It's very significant. Only sons received an inheritance. And in fact, if a father didn't have sons, maybe he had daughters, if he didn't have sons, he would adopt a son so that he could pass on his inheritance to that son. But in Christ, carry on to the next verse, we find out that we're all sons. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This was revolutionary, this thing that Paul was saying. He was saying that that right, which normally only went to a son, was now for any son or daughter of God. And then in verse, verse 7, chapter 4, also as part of that um, section of Scripture, you can read it as you start to pray, Our Father. It's, he summarizes the passage like this. He says, So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Now what does it mean to be an heir? Well, an heir will inherit what his father or her, or, or her father owns. And what does our father own, folks? Everything. Everything. Isn't that amazing? You know that scripture where it says that we are co-heirs with Christ? There's a sense in which we inherit on a similar basis what Christ inherits. It all belongs to us. And that gives us so much confidence. Confidence comes from knowing that God is our Father, that He loves us much more than we love our own children. It gives us a poise in life and an assurance in prayer that comes from knowing that He's not going to withhold anything that's good from us. It gives us a boldness that starts to build as we reflect on our status as dearly loved children. But all of this would be useless, let's face it folks, if God was simply a stronger version of you and I and if he still had limits, uh, but he isn't. He's a father who is in heaven. The Bible says that he placed the stars in the sky and he called them by name. He encompasses all things, he contains all things, and yet he is in all things. These are some of the things that we should pray. Do you remember the, the words of that song, Indescribable, it says, who has told every lightning bolt where it should go? or seen heavenly storehouses laden with snow? Who gave um, something about the light and the sun? Who, gave, who, who imagined the sun and gave source to its light, yet conceals it to give us the coolest of nights? Just start singing a, a hymn. Start singing a song. Listen to a song as you come to your prayer time so that you can start to build your confidence he is just an amazingly powerful God. And in light of all this, isn't it insane that we don't often ask him for things in prayer? James wrote, you do not have because you do not ask, James 4 verse 2. Now I think that John Piper um, has put this really, really well, so just listen to the next um, audio clip. 
here if you are offered the privilege of engaging with God in such a way that your request could bring into being things that would not otherwise come into being not to avail yourself of that privilege is folly of the highest or lowest order that's why we pray beckoning us into our share in the running of the universe. Do you not know that you will judge angels? Do you know who you are, child of God? So often we forget the power that we wield in prayer and we need to build up our confidence. We need to approach our Father who is in heaven. We need to remind ourselves that he's a Father who doesn't have limits like us. He's infinitely powerful. He's invited us to work with him in the family business. And he gives us the power to do the supernatural things that, that we need to do to work in the family business. And as we approach God um, with these things in mind, acknowledging him, worshiping him for his fatherhood and his power, we start to grow in confidence. But we must also approach him with the right perspective on our needs. And we do this by acknowledging his glory. So let's move on to that second part, perspective. In his teaching on petitionary prayer, 
Tim Keller says that we need healing of perspective. He claims that it isn't what's on the outside, in other words, your external circumstances and needs that require healing, but rather your inner perspective. And the way to receive this healing is to gain a godly perspective. Now, how do we get a, a godly perspective? Well, the process begins with prayers of hallowed be thy name. What do we mean by that? Well, just to recap briefly what Craig told us last week. He told us that to hallow something means to honor it as holy. Now, how do we honor God's name as holy? Well, I've taught on this on many occasions, but we need to remind ourselves that God's name is not simply a label. God's name represents his character and his attributes. And so when we talk about the name of God, we start to think about the character and the attributes of God. We start to think about his love. We start to think about his mercy. We start to think about his kindness. And we start to talk about these things to God. And we just say, Father God, thank you so much for your love. And we, we talk about the different aspects of his love. Thank you that it's a merciful love. Thank you that it's a long-suffering love. Thank you that it's a tough love. We start to talk about the attributes of God and then we are setting apart his name as holy. And we start to think about what's gonna happen in the day ahead and we'll be saying to, thinking to ourselves, well, I've got such and such a meeting happening today and it's gonna be a high stress meeting or I'm gonna be dealing with this person. Oh, Father God, help me to declare your name as holy. How would I do that? I would start to reflect in that meeting the character and the attributes of God. It's going to require power to do that. It's going to require something supernatural. But of course, we've already started building up our confidence, haven't we? Because we know that God wants us to honor and glorify him in that way. He wants us to provide a tangible representation in the flesh, if you like, of what he's like. So in the process of honoring God as holy, as we do that in our prayers, your perspective on trials and needs that you're facing are almost certainly gonna change. And the first time I can remember this happening to me was at university. I came to a time of prayer wanting to pray about my exams that were coming up because I was feeling very, very anxious and stressed about them. But as I was praying, I started using the words of a song by Morgan Cryer. I can still remember it clearly. All the power in the Western world underneath your feet. Every man, woman, boy, or girl, underneath your feet. There is no place that I can go where you aren't in control. When I wake or when I sleep, I'm underneath your feet. Forevermore and forever to be, underneath your feet. If I'm stuck or if I'm free, underneath your feet. There is no place that I can go where you aren't in control. Though night comes in, it's too dark to see, underneath your feet. And that started to change my perspective on what I was gonna pray in my section of petitionary prayer. Actually, as it turns out, I didn't end up praying about my exams because I suddenly thought, you know what? It's all under God's control. And I started praying about other things. Let me give you another example of how God healed my perspective. On this occasion, I had to be taught, and it was a hard lesson, it's, it's a lesson I often have to be taught um, is, is that I was idolizing my success and my performance as a pastor. It had taken the place of God as my delight and my treasure. 
And my petitionary prayers were starting to reflect that. I wasn't asking God for things in order that his name would be honored. I wanted my name to be honored for people to say, wow, you know, Ian's so kind and loving. He's such a good pastor. He's such an amazing preacher. We need to be healed of our perspectives. And I can tell you that we, we all do it in some form or other. The things that you are praying about will start to reveal what it is that you value and idolize in your heart. My desire instead should have been for people to hear a sermon, for example, and say, well, not what an amazing preacher Ian is, but rather what an amazing God is. How amazing God is. So James puts, put his finger on this problem. Uh, yes, that's, that's the, the, the slide there. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you're asking with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Do you think that a loving heavenly father is gonna grant you a request when your motive is to honor yourself or to bless yourself? I wonder if you can see the image here that, that James is using. It's, it's a very blunt image. He says, can you imagine an adulterous wife going to her husband to ask for money so that she can go and spend it on her lover? Can you imagine a man asking his wife for a share of the family finances so that he can go spend his money on prostitutes or some other material thing while his own children are not able to go to school. This is what he's talking about. When we use our prayers to ask God for things, to feed our own idolatry, then we're being like an adulterous spouse. And it's, it's not a good thing. When we put our money, or our success, or our power, or our health, or our comfort, or our pleasure above God, when we've been deceived, and we start to embrace the world's values, how often do our prayers reflect the world's values? It shows that we've made, we've made friends with the world. And just have a look there at how James views friendship with the world. What does he call it? Hatred toward God. James always speaks in hyperbole. He always does it in an exaggerated way, but it's true. If, if we love something more than God, it's the same as hating God. Now don't think that, that you guys are above this because these teachings wouldn't be in the Bible if, if we were. Jesus wouldn't have taught us to pray, hallowed be thy name, before asking for things if we weren't predisposed to idolizing other things. And our petitionary prayer reflecting that. We all need healing of our perspectives and it comes by acknowledging God's glory. And as we do, the Holy Spirit will start to, to highlight the idolatry so that you can repent of it. And guess what? That'll sanctify and it'll purify your requests. And you'll begin asking for completely different things. So we need to approach God, first of all, with confidence, acknowledging his fatherhood and his power. Secondly, we, we need to approach him in such a way as to change our perspective, acknowledging his glory. And then lastly, we need to approach him with humility 
acknowledging his wisdom. It takes humility to pray, thy will be done. But by surrendering to God in that way, we acknowledge that he's the dad and we are the children. Petitionary prayer only works on a father-child basis. That's the model for petitionary prayer. But most of us want a magic lamp, don't we? We just want to be able to rub that lamp and for the genie to appear and say, your wish is my command. But that genie model of prayer, which we often use, and although it seems appealing, is not the, w the way we are made, and it's not the way that we're made to relate to God. We are to relate to him on a father-child model. And when we're yielding, wielding, as it were, God's awesome power, there needs to be safe, safety catches, because as children, we don't know as much as our dad, and that's why we need to submit to him. If you take an example, a microwave. Microwaves are powerful, aren't they? And so we've got to put them out of the reach of toddlers. And then as a child gets older, he can reach the microwave, and so it needs to come with some sort of safety measure where it won't turn on when the doors open. Things that are powerful need safety catches. And our ultimate safety catch is to approach petitionary prayer on the model of a father-child relationship. Several weeks ago, another illustration of this, I arrived at my office late morning to discover that a 30-ton excavator was working in the neighbor's garden. And so when I left the office about one and a half hours before, the excavator hadn't been there. Now when I came back, there was the excavator and the house was gone. In, in a space of an hour and a half, it had flattened that house. And you can be sure that whoever controls that site wouldn't have put that excavator into just anybody's hands. He wouldn't have put it into any, just any adult's hands, let alone um, the hands of a child. It's the same for us. Before we, need to, before we ask, we just need to recognize who the parent is. We need to acknowledge that we're just children. And after all, as parents, that's what we expect, isn't it, from our own children. And the irony is that the more a child recognizes that they don't know everything, the more mature they're showing themselves to be. Don't we see that in our children? As soon as our children recognize that, hey, I don't know everything, let me ask dad, they're showing themselves to be mature, and we need to do the same thing. And even Jesus had to learn this lesson, if you look at the next slide. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions, that's what we're talking about today, with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard, why? Because of, the, of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Here's a quote that you might have heard. Unfortunately, once again, I couldn't find the source. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. And so since God is, is the dad, we need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge that we don't know everything. Even Jesus had to submit himself to the Father's will. He didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to die on the cross. 
And isn't it interesting that even though he said, let this cup be taken away from me, it, and it wasn't, it still says that God heard his request. And so God always hears your requests. Never let it be said that God didn't hear what I have to say. He may not have answered in the way that you wanted, um, but he still heard your request. So since God is the dad, we need to acknowledge that we don't know everything, and that could account for why he hasn't answered our prayers in the way we wanted and the way we would like him to. It's not that he doesn't answer. This is what a, a, a theologian called Richard Sibbs said. He said, he will always give you the value of what you ask, but not always in kind. So you might have asked for a kg of gold, but he'll give you the equivalent value in diamonds. Doesn't always give you the value of what you ask. He will always give you the value of what you ask, but not always in kind. And this is often because we see our need and the interpretation of the need as the same thing. Let me say that again. We often see the need and the interpretation of the need as the same thing. So let me give you an example of that from my own life. When I was suffering from a a year-long sinus infection in 2012, I asked God to heal me on many different occasions, and I asked people to pray for me as well. My need was to be effective as a husband and a father and a pastor. That's what I wanted. I wanted to be affected. And I believed that having that sinus infection, I couldn't be as effective. So my interpretation of how to meet that need to be effective in in ministry and as a father, which of course God wanted, my interpretation of that need was, Father, get rid of this illness. But God had decided that I would become a far more effective person as he refined me through my illness. The very thing that I saw as a threat to my effectiveness became the greatest means to my long-term effectiveness as a husband and a father and as a pastor. And so perhaps the greatest lesson that I learned was just as the Apostle Paul wrote, when I am weak, then I am strong, for God's strength is perfected in weakness. And there may be circumstances that you're facing in your life and you're just saying, Lord, I need these to be taken away for whatever reason. But maybe that's your interpretation of what you need. It's not actually what you need. And so in conclusion, folks, we started this story with the story of Elijah. Let's close with his um, example as well. He prayed and God did amazing things. And so what we would like to do is to be like him. We need to remind ourselves that Elijah was a man just like you and I. There's no difference between him and us. The difference was the God that he prayed to. We so often think think that it all rests in us. And sure, the Bible does say the prayer of a righteous man. But if we are walking with a clear conscience, we're not walking in sin, and we have Christ's perfect record credited to us, then we are walking in righteousness. And the Bible says, no good thing will he withhold from he whose walk is upright. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. So remember, as you come to your time of prayer, uh, whether it's today or tomorrow, start off by gaining confidence by acknowledging his fatherhood and power. Just say, Father God, thank you so much that you're my dad. Thank you that I'm not alone in the world. 
Thank you that I'm your child, that I have an inheritance. And it's not just any inheritance, it's an eternal inheritance. Thank you that you've given me a living hope. And start to pray these things. It'll start to build your confidence. Start to talk about his power. Maybe find a Google, a song that you can think of that talks about God's power. Just read out the words. There's something powerful about just saying it out, declaring it. I will declare your praises, says David, in the, in the company in the, in, of, of the people. And so read it out. Start to, to build your confidence. And then remember to gain perspective just by acknowledging God's glory. Talk about all those amazing attributes that he has. Even before you start praying requests, all of those attributes, and there's so many of them. And go into detail. It's so important for us to go into detail. Don't just talk about the love of God. Talk about what kind of things you love about the love of God. Or his mercy or his kindness. Acknowledge his glory. It'll change your perspective on what you're about to pray about. And then lastly, just remember to acknowledge his wisdom and to gain humility, just to grow in humility. I hope this helps, folks. I would just encourage you to keep on praying. It's, it's gonna be the process of a lifetime, but it's an incredibly exciting adventure. Let's keep doing it. Gain confidence, acknowledge his fatherhood and power. Gain perspective, acknowledge his glory. And lastly, remember to acknowledge his wisdom in order to gain wisdom. Shall we pray? We just think of all those places in the Psalms, Father God, where the psalmist wrote, Father, teach me how to pray. And uh, that's what we ask today. Teach us how to pray. It's one thing to hear teaching from the word. It's, it's one thing to read the Bible about prayer. It's another thing to start experiencing you in prayer, but that's what we wanna do. And so I pray this for myself and for each person here. Teach us how to pray. May we be known as a people who turn to you in prayer. May prayer be the unseen engine that drives our church and the ministry of this church. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.